Hello and welcome. I'm Eric. And I'm John. And this is the Wikipedia Chronicles. This is a podcast where we start with a random article, explore it, then follow the links, and see where it takes us. John, what do you have? I have 664 different options for you today, Eric, and I do mean that because what I've started with is the list of mandals in Andhra Pradesh. Hmm, interesting. The, yeah, this article lists all of the mandals in the 13 districts of and Pradesh, the state comprises of 664 mandals, of which Chittor district has the most number of mandals with 66, whereas the Vizinia Garam district has 34, making it the smallest in the state of Andhra Pradesh. So... I guess these are, this is literally just a large list of townships in larger counties within a state gotcha. in presumably India, but it doesn't actually say it, so I can't say for sure. The country of this list's origin is not, in fact, stated. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we, we have Mandel's. In Andhra Pradesh, wherever that is, um, and we have 664 of them, the majority of which, and by majority I mean all but, uh, like, five, have links. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. So, it's about, uh, yeah, it's, it, that's about the size of it. Uh, what do you have over there, Eric? Well, I have Bel Air, Tiburon, California. It is not that Bel Air, though. But it's in California. <laughs> you know, there's Bel Air, uh-huh. as in Fresh Prince of Bel Air. And then there's this Bel Air, which adds a fancy E on the end of air. Oh. And it is a former unincorporated community, now incorporated in Tiburon in Marin County, California. Lies at an elevation of 20 feet. Okay, so it's on the it's by the beach is what they mean to say. Yes. Twenty feet. And it says nothing about population, so I can only assume that nobody lives there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Until Will Smith shows up. That's the only yep. only option it has for, for expansion. Um Okay. Well, um I mean do you wanna if you wanna check out Tibburon or Marin County or not California. When I, not when I have 660 things I can't say <laughs> at my disposal. Yes, I think we should have more options. All right. So what is so prepare yourself to go to list of, of man D A L S. Andhra Pradesh. Yeah. And Pra Pradesh. 
That's the one. Wow. Here they are. Here's all of the mandals. The mandals with the handles. That are the lists below. Yep. That's them. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of these that just are not able to be said. <laughs> In every single block, there are a lot of these which there are which are unable to be said. Some of them so, they don't even tell you the full word, they abbreviate things. <laughs> Do we go for the most unpronounceable thing on this list? Or do we go for something that seems reasonably pronounceable? It really depends on how awful we feel like pronouncing some person's home. <laughs> okay, my proposal is we go with something that is short and pronounceable, but that kind of makes you giggle a little bit every time you say it. Since we have six, since we have half of a thousand options, I think we can make that formula work to our yeah, benefit. I'm sure we can find something. Or we well, can just get one that's really short but still really hard to say, like <laughs> "ouk." It's the word "owl" with a K instead of an L. There's a goody. There's a gooder. There's Rolla. Did we go to Rolla before? I feel, Maybe. I feel like uh, we've done Rolla somewhere. Uh, we've been Rolla Some kind of Rolla. Apples, so I don't know for sure. But we could go to Darcy. If you want to do Mr. Darcy, but not spelled that way. <laughs> spelled in a more more Indian way, presumably. Maybe Pakistani. I'm not sure. They didn't tell me. Don't <laughs> hold it against me. Tuni? Tuni? Not Tuna. Tuni. We got jam jammy. We can put on our jammies. Uh, Allure. Illuru. Undini. Kala. Atiri. Tada. Tada. I want to do tada. <laughs> tada. That's arguably, actually inarguably, the best one. Tada. Let's go to tada. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Small Magic. article. But there is a picture of a nice waterfall. Yeah. That's actually really, really pretty. So, Tada is a village on the Chennai-Kolkata Highway, just over 65 kilometers or 40 miles from Chennai, India, and about 50 miles from Tirupati. It is located in the Nellore district of Andhra Pradesh, about... A mile or so north of the Andhra Pradesh border. Telugu is the official and spoken language of the village. Did not even realize that was a language. But, uh... India has a history for that. <laughs> There's like 2,000 languages still actively spoken there. Just in India. Just there. Hmm. I think they would have consolidated a little bit. They did. The British came and made them. Ah. Uh, <laughs> Remember yes. that? Now Remember they all speak English. Yeah. Now they all speak English and 2,000 different <laughs> languages. Climate hot. Good. That's interesting. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the entire, like, not hot and moist, it not hot and dry. It doesn't, like... It's just hot. Yeah. It's, it's just like, ah, oh, it's so hot there. Yeah, it's 
hack. So, our options from here are pretty much the Chennai Highway thing, or Chennai itself, or Tirupati, or Andhra Pradesh, or India, or Hot. Or Hot. <laughs> hot is actually one of the links. Go see what's hot. Why not? That's hot. Oh, wait, there's also an option to not be confused with Tada. Capitals. Uh, <laughs> Hang on. Okay, this is important. If you rung the bell, unring it. I did not ring the bell. Are you sure? I mean, I guess you could really, you know, you, you have a <laughs> chance to fix that in post, so. But do we. I don't know. I'm, I'm torn, though. I mean. Yeah, because Tada does provide a decent amount of mystery. But hot. <laughs> hmm. Or coppin, as they say in climate science, I guess. I really don't know. <laughs> but what's what's to that? Like, okay, if I hover over hot, let's do a hover test. Okay. What do we get? Hovering over hot brings up climate regions of India. Okay. So we could see if they just have hot and cold, or if they have a diversity. Meanwhile, I'm assuming they have mostly hot. I think they pretty much all are, except for the ones right at the base of the mountains. Yeah. I mean, um, and then, ta-da, I hover over that, and what I learn is, ta-da. Hmm. So, so. Still more mystery. It is. It is very mysterious, this ta-da. This is our mystery box. I like the mystery box. I do too. That's always a good place to go. Yeah. <laughs> to reveal. Oh. Okay. That was a trick, wasn't it? Wow. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. So, Tada is terrorist and disruptive activities, in parentheses, prevention act. Oh. Okay. So that I mean, without the... <sighs> goes to Tada. Because they dropped the prevention. I think prevention. And you think prevention was added as an afterthought? Because it seems like it's pretty imperative to. Because uh, hmm. without it, you just have an act that mandates terrorism and disruptive activities. That's true. But even so, it's still in a st not in the right order. So it must be something to do with the language that it was originally in. It's more ta-da than it is ta-da. <laughs> ta-da. Ta-da. Or Tada. Tada. So, yeah, this is an anti terrorism law which was enforced between 1985 and 1995 with a modification in 1987. And it was under the background of the Punjab insurgency and was applied to the whole of India. So, we're still in India. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, that is kind of weird that they had two tadas <laughs> that were not the magical sort. That and were both completely different things. Yeah, and that, that's. Uh, Does that have something to do with their language, maybe? Or. Maybe, but yeah, that's. Uh, did they make this act because of terrorism that happened in Tada? So they <laughs> named it, like, in memoriam of Tada? Maybe. But, yeah, it came into effect on May 23rd, 1985. And I guess 
It got renewed on 1989, 1991, 1993 before being allowed to lapse in 1995 due to increasing unpopularity due to widespread allegations of abuse. So they can they just they renew laws here? Is that a thing that uh, that we have to do or well, do yeah. we just kind of let up uh, put laws in place and then if they start working badly then we take them out it depends on the law i mean Mm. a lot of laws are brought into effect with stipulations that funding towards this effort will go until x x year Mm. and then they have to at that point if they want to continue it somebody has to bring it back up and then they have to redo Mm. the whole thing authorize it for a longer period of time but I don't think all laws are like that. Cause, I mean, you have things like the Constitution, which, like, yeah. the basic amendments don't expire at any point yeah. in time unless you literally bring them to people's attention and people mm. get outraged enough to make their Congress people repeal them. Right. Like, that's, that's the only way that happens. So, yes and no. Mm. Uh, I guess the thing that kind of puzzles me, though, is that this seems very much like a, ter- like a sort of Patriot Act sort of thing. Hmm. And that's one of those acts that doesn't come off to me as something that will just be like one day rolled back and people will be like, you know, all those massive survey, all those massive surveillance things. <laughs> yeah, just stop them. Yeah. Like, I don't think that is very realistic for that piece <laughs> of legislation. And yet, here's something that's similar that is doing precisely that. So, mm-hmm. I. Don't I, I don't know if that's something diff- about the act ins- itself being inherently like terrible or what. We'll have to find out. Yeah. Well, here we got a thorough definition of terrorism. Okay. Provided by the act's third paragraph. So, here it is. Whoever with intent to overawe the government as by law established or to strike terror in the people or any section of the people or to alienate any section of the people or to adversely affect the harmony against different sections of the people does any act or thing by using bombs, dynamite, or other explosive substances or inflammable substances or lethal weapons or poisonous or noxious gases or other chemicals by any other substances whether biological or otherwise of a hazardous nature in such a matter as to cause or as is likely to cause death or or injuries to any person or persons or loss of or damage to or destruction of property or disruption of any supplies or services essential to the life of the community or detains any person and threatens to kill or injure such person in order to compel the government or any other person to do or abstain from doing any act commits a terrorist act. One sentence. That was... (laughs) That was impressive. (laughs) That was, um... Wow. That's that's one heck of an incomplete sentence, I'll tell you. <laughs> they really went all out. Yep. They they did everything but make a full sentence somehow. <laughs> um But the thing that I find weird about that is just how they say with the intent to overawe the government. Like the <laughs> yeah. government's like, Wow, you guys really did an awesome job of rebelling. Man, I wish we could have done that cool of a job before we took power. <laughs> Wow. You know what, though? You're under arrest. You really impressed us. Get out of here. Go to jail. <laughs> like, that's what it sounds like. I don't know if that's just bad translation or what that is supposed to mean. But yeah. 
And they really went, like, tried to make a very complete list of things, like methods, because I guess they just wanted to cover every single base they could think of. I mean, I guess whatever made... It's probably something exactly like what we had here. Something triggered them to make this act. Mm. So when they made it, they probably had some pretty strong wording that would have been very uh, welcoming at the time and in retrospect, stupid. Mm. (laughs) So let's see. What kind of powers did it give the government? Well, the law gave wide powers to law enforcement agencies for dealing with national, terrorist, and socially disruptive activities. The police were not obliged to produce a detainee before a judicial magistrate within 24 hours. The accused person could be detained for up to one year. Confessions made to police officers were admissible as evidence in the court of law, with the burden of proof being on the accused to to prove their innocence. Courts were set up exclusively to hear the cases and deliver judgments pertaining to the persons accused under this act. The trials could be held in camera with the identities of witnesses kept hidden. Under 7A of the act, police officers were also empowered to attach the properties of the accused under this act. Under this act, police have no rights to give third degree or harassed anyone to speak as mentioned in the act. So, yep. No period after the end of that. Nope, it's just just open-ended. Add to it as you see fit. I do see a few things that need fixed, but whatever. Um, Under this act, under this act. (laughs) Man, so this is uh, pretty uh, intense stuff here. Yeah, basically the only thing the police aren't able to do is harass somebody into giving you a confession. (laughs) However... Anybody who any, anybody who's anybody can just walk up to a policeman and be like, hey, this guy over here is probably terrorist. And then they'll be like, all right. And then they would throw you in jail for a year mm-hmm. and seize your property for the government. <laughs> like, that's, that's pretty intense. I wonder what made this happen. Feels like there must be a reason for it somewhere. Yeah. And, I mean, this is like even more, I don't know, crazy than like, what we have come up with in response to terrorist acts. Because this is just like, alright, you're suspected of terrorism, we're throwing you in jail for a year. And, uh... That's it. If you if you confess, we can use that in court. And, uh, you know... Yeah, there we go. That's evidence. So... <laughs> cool. But, uh, yeah. Suffice it to say... This act was uh, widely criticized by <laughs> human rights organizations. Who knew? Yeah. Um, so they had like have like a list of their criticisms here, and one is the act virtually criminalizes free speech. Um. Yeah. That uh, yeah. <laughs> seems to. Yep. And under this act, man, I wonder how many times under this act appears in this article. 27. Seven. Oh. Seven times it appears in this article. Okay. I'm going to look for under the act. <laughs> under the act, 
appears twice. Mm. Under the, in general, appears four times. <laughs> this person just likes to be under. <laughs> so, under this act, whoever advocates directly or indirectly for cessation or secession what? in any <laughs> part of India is liable to be punished under this act. Oh my gosh, under this act. Again. The same sentence. Wow. Alright. So alright, so wait, are they Okay, so they're just saying that okay as far as free speech is concerned, if anybody is like, Hey, we should not be a part of India anymore then they are subject to be punished yep. for terrorism. Nobody's allowed to secede. <laughs> Um. Yeah. Or Session or secession. That's yep. interesting. Very interesting phrase in there. Um. So and the next one is the act provided that a person can be detained up to one year without formal charges or trial against him. That's always a risky bit of law. Yeah. When you subsp- when you suspend habeas corpus, <laughs> that's never a good sign. Yeah. I mean that. People are, like, wrongly imprisoned in general a lot, but for up to one year without any kind of, like, concrete anything, (laughs) like, just like, I don't know, I think you're fishy, we're going to keep you until we figure it out. That's, yeah, that's pretty bad. For up to one year, but, like, how is the person who needs to, how are they going to know how long (laughs) they've been in there? They're in jail, they don't have a calendar. (laughs) Are they counting? I would count. You got to. Yeah, you got to scratch the numbers Hold on the wall. Hold them to it. <laughs> figure it out. First day in, figure out how many years times days. <laughs> there you go. All right, and then uh, section 20 of the act provides that detainee can be in police custody up to 60 days, with increases, which increases risk of torture. Huh. Also, the detainee mu- need not be produced before a judicial magistrate but instead may be produced before an executive magistrate who is an official of police and administrative service and is not answerable to high court. So they don't need to go before like a judge. Which is also problematic. So you've eliminated any real (laughs) evidence from being accountable. You've eliminated freedom of speech from being good. You've eliminated people from having any right to stand trial. (laughs) When they do finally get out of prison after a year... They don't have the trial to go to, so they mm. probably just go right back into prison. <laughs> um, yeah. This is this is getting bad. Yeah. How did nobody see <laughs> that there was going to be like massive abuse for this? <laughs> uh, how did this go on for what? Ten, Ten years? years? Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I uh, really don't know. And uh, the trial can be held secretly at any place and also keeps the identity of the witnesses secret violating international standards of fair trial so yeah that's uh, also a problem Uh it's like hey we're just going to take you to a back alley and uh, you don't get to know who accused you (laughs) yeah it's not not great yeah, I mean, I feel like th- this is essentially just, like, setting up, like, a vigilante kind of... Yeah, they're asking Like, for legalizing vigilante. vigilantism. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh... 
Also, the act reverses the presumption of innocence of the accused under the act. What? Under section 21 of the act, the person who is accused of committing a terrorist act where arms and explosives were recovered or made confessions to someone other than a police officer or provided financial assistance for the commission of the terrorist act or by suspicion that the person has has arms or explosives or financial assistance to commit the terrorist act, then the person shall be presumed to be guilty unless contrary is proved. So they're guilty until proven innocent. Right. For pretty much anything. Yeah. Do you have weapons? You're guilty until proven innocent. Did you tell somebody other than a police officer? (laughs) Then somehow you're a terrorist now. Uh, (laughs) Did you... Did you uh, provide financial assistance? Well, actually, that one's probably pretty concrete. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that's like the only one. Mm-hmm. They slipped like one legit one in the bag with three other things that are just <laughs> kind of asinine. Yeah. Also, a person making confessions to a police officer not below the rank of superintendent of the police can be used as evidence against him. So you can just make a confession to a beat cop and it's like alright good to go that's uh, all we need and then section 19 of the act bars persons accused under this act to appeal except the supreme court alright so the number of people arrested under the act had exceeded 76,000 by 30th of June 1994 25% of these cases were dropped by the police without any charges being framed. Only 35% of the cases were brought to trial, of which 95% resulted in acquittals. Less than 2% of those arrested were convicted. The Tada Act was ultimately repealed and succeeded by the Prevention of Terrorist Activities Act 2002 to 2004 and this act was subsequently repealed after much controversy as well. And then they just gave up. <laughs> then they were just like, forget it. Terrorism, not as big a problem anymore. <laughs> not even going to worry about it. No more laws. We yeah. can't do it right. So forget it. <laughs> Done. Yeah. It seems like there is a, a lot of trouble coming up with a good anti-terrorism solution as far as law is concerned. Yeah, I mean, it really does walk that fine line between what goes too far Mm -hmm. and how far do you have to go to really bring these things to light. And it is kind of a tricky thing to do, but whenever you are in a position where you have the backing you need to be able to do them properly, oftentimes there's a reason for that, and Mm -hmm. that reason catalyzes a lot of motion that is more emotion than anything else and that gets you reactionary policies like these. Mm-hmm. So, what do we want to go to from here? We can go to session, 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 cha-cha-cha-chia, or... Actually, I feel like... Okay, in that first sentence where it's... Uh, it says, like under that. the background of Punjab insurgency. Uh, I feel like that could be the background. Of, like, that could be what caused this 
thing. It does sound pretty... It, it sounds sound... very terrorism-y. Yeah. Let's look at that, because the article really doesn't tell us anything about why they made this terrible, terrible piece of legislation in the mm -hmm. first place. Alright. The Punjab Rebellion. The insurgency in Punjab originated in the 1970s. The late 1970s. As some Sikhs, which is to say the religious movement, the Sikhs, KHS, included, or rather, including Khalistan proponents, turned to militancy. The roots of the insurgency were very complex, with the main factors being inadequate recognition of Sikhism as a religion and the Punjabi language in and of itself. As well as mistreatment from the Indian Congress government since its formation in 1947. With all schools in Punjab teaching Punjabi children Hindi, even after Punjab's linguistic reorganization, parents and community leaders started to become concerned. The Punjabi Sabha civil movement was started to address the language issue and restore Punjabi as the official language of Punjab. <laughs> the Punjabi Suba movement was banned by the government on the 14th of April, 1955. During this time, the Sikhs were faced with much humiliation and difficulties, including peaceful protesters and innocent pilgrims being beaten, hit with bricks, arrested, and temples were raided. Following the Indo-Pakistani War of 1965, Punjab was finally recognized as the official language of Punjab in 1966. Uh, when the Punjab land was further split into the states of Himachi Pradesh, the new state Haryana, and current-day Punjab. You know, it seems kind of strange to me that they had such a hard time getting Punjabi to be the official language of Punjab. Yeah, like I guess it's because there must have been a lot of religious tension behind that. I can only figure, mm -hmm. like... You've got Punjab, which looks like it might be wedged in between India and Pakistan, which the only difference between India and Pakistan at its core is some lines on a map <laughs> and religion. It's one's big into uh, Islam, another one's big into Hindi. And yeah, there's a lot of tension there. So if you have a third religion in the mix mm. and you have two larger religions surrounding it, <laughs> you basically have that little tiny religion get bullied around. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened here, I have to imagine. <laughs> so in spite of all of this, uh, you know, you would think that them having uh, their land partially at least granted back to them and having and, a lot, and them the government basically giving them their language back would allow them to be you know relatively peaceful and that maybe the conflict would at least be kind of you know muted if not resolved but nah didn't solve a whole whole lot because the uh, Sikh community was still feeling pretty alienated within India um to solve this, they put forward a resolution to address all grievances they had with the Indian state. In 1973, the Sikhs put forward the An Andpur Sahib resolution. Within this resolution were issues included both religious and uh, political. From easy issues of recognizing Sikhism as a religion to allowing states within India to set local state-level policies and not to be forced to grant to get permission from the central government 
the end end per resolution was rejected by the government, but the religious leader, Jarnail Singh Pindranwal, uh, joined the Akali Dal to launch Taram Yud Morka in 1982, a peaceful march in order to implement Anand Per Sahib resolution. Thousands of people joined the movement, feeling that it represented a real solution to demands such as a larger share of water for irrigation and the return of Chandigarh to Punjab. The Congress government decided to repress the mass agitation with a heavy hand. Over a hundred people were killed in the police firings. The security forces arrested over 30,000 Sikhs in two and a half months after this Brindwali suggested it was time for a militant approach with the help of arms and weapons to solve the problems of majority Punjab population leading to the beginning of the insurgency. On the 6th of June, 1984, Bindwale was shot dead in Operation Blue Star. And on October 31st, Halloween, 1984, Indira Gandhi was assassinated by her Sikh bodyguards, Satwant Singh and Bint Singh. Right, so she was assassinated by her own bodyguards? And her bodyguards were six, which were the people who they were oppressing as <laughs> if she was Indira Gandhi was, you know, part of the central government mm. that was oppressing the six and her bodyguards were six. I don't know who thought that was going to end well. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a, it's a bit of dumb idea. Yeah. <laughs> like a really stupid plan. <laughs> anyway, those two events played a major role to the sick and anti sick violence that would consume Punjab until the early 1990s. So, it probably, based on those dates, 1984 mm-hmm. and the, ta-da, showing up in 1985, mm-hmm. that's what caused it. Yeah, there's assassinations and yep. all sorts of stuff. And, and then this was going up all the way through in the... See, now all this violence was going on through the 90s, and that's when, like, the thing ended... And it's they only caught, or they only imprisoned like two percent, was it, of the people they put in jail? Yeah. So I feel like they really didn't do a good job of, I don't know, with that law. Uh, let's see. All right, so op- Operation Blue Star. Uh, that occurred between third and eighth of. June 1984 and it was an Indian military operation ordered by Indira Gandhi who was the Prime Minister of India to eliminate Jarnail Singh yeah you you know uh, (laughs) from the Golden Temple in Amritsar and Jarnail was accused of amassing weapons in the Sikh temple and started a major armed uprising. And starting a major armed uprising. And the government seemed unable to stop the violence in Punjab, Haryana, and Delhi. And Indira Gandhi ordered the army to storm the temple complex in Punjab. And Operation Blue Star was a mixed success. 
A variety of army units, along with paramilitary forces, surrounded the temple complex on June 3rd, and the army kept asking the militants to surrender using the public address system. The militants were asked to send the pilgrims out of the temple premises to safety before they start fighting the army. However, nothing happened till 7 p.m. Reports of the Indian Army soldiers tying up civilians with their turbans and shooting them in their backs were not uncommon. The attack also took place on a sick holy day when there were an extra 150,000 to 200,000 civilians. The army had grossly underestimated the firepower possessed by the militants. Thus, tanks and heavy artillery were used to forcefully suppress the anti-tank and machine gun fire. After a 24-hour firefight, the army finally wrested control of the temple complex. According to the Indian Army, 136 army personnel were killed and 249 injured, while insurgent casualties were 493 killed and 83 injured. Unofficial figures go well into the thousands, and along with insurgents, many innocent worshippers were caught in the crossfire. The estimates of innocent people killed in the operation range from a few hundred people to nothing like this. I don't know. It, it doesn't give the other side of that range. Nope. <laughs> I guess uh, they, they, they lost. That's, that's all you need to know. It was a shutout. <laughs> yeah. They're just like, uh, it was at least a few hundred people. But so. eh. uh, yeah, so. Sounds like a pretty crazy affair there. Um, a bit. A lot, a lot crazier than uh, that previous um, mention would have you believe. Didn't even really say in here that uh, they actually got Bindrendwell. Yep. I mean, I mean it I says guess it up there in the, uh, you know, right. before, but you would think it doesn't actually up. mention that in the lengthier, detailed Which thing. is weird, because these things always repeat themselves. So you <laughs> might as well just, like, finish your story once you've gotten started on it. Yeah. But, yeah, then uh, there was the anti-sick massacre. It was so against viruses. Is <laughs> so this is the un- other part of that previous thing with the assassination um so operation blue star obviously inflamed the sick community many saw it as an attack on their religion and beliefs because when you bring a military force into a temple and kill thousands of people that's kind of what happens wrong (laughs) (laughs) um so, on Halloween 1984, the Prime Minister of India, Indira Gandhi, was gunned down by her two sick bodyguards. Um, okay, so let's get a time frame here. This was see, June, July, August, September, October. Alright, so this is like almost four months later. Um, she was gunned down. By her two sick bodyguards. In the wake of Indira Gandhi's assassination, see, I, I want to hear more about like 
how this assassination went down. Yeah, because it seems to me like... Like, I, I want to know what the deal is with these bodyguards. Why, why, why did she have bodyguards that were... Of a populace that she was trying to fight. Yeah. <laughs> like, who, or did they hide their religion from her? Or did no. they did they just like kind of sneak in very... and try to like infiltrate so they could assassinate her? Or six are very like they're they're some of the most distinguishable people mm-hmm. in the world for religions just by looking at them. They have very specific turbans. They uh... always have very specific shaped beards. Like they shave a certain way. <laughs> Like, it is, well, like, it's impossible to, like, look at a picture of a Sikh. You've seen them, and you, you would know them. Like, they're not, like, any other <laughs> kind of religious person. Like, the Amish. Like, they're, they I feel out. like this is the almost, I mean, to draw a parallel, it would be like McCarthy having two communist bodyguards. Yeah. Like, it really, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> why, it, why would you do that? I don't, I don't that know. doesn't make any sense. But anyway, after this assassination, rioting mobs allegedly led by Congress leaders who are still facing the court cases as of, I guess, today, rampaged through the streets of Delhi and other parts of India over the next few days, killing several thousand Sikhs. So, more. Six thousand. (laughs) The police worked to destroy a lot more, a lot of the evidence about who was involved with the killings by refusing to record first information reports. Hundreds more were refused because the victims wanted to name Congress leaders like Sajan Kumar, H.K.L. Bhagat, and Jagdish Titler. That was almost a normal last name. Uh, yeah. uh, human what? Who? Uh, human <laughs> Rights Watch reports. In the months following the killings, the government sought no prosecutions or indictments of any persons, including officials, accused in any case of murder, rape, or arson. Hundreds of murderers are yet... Hundreds of murders are yet to even be registered by the police. The New Delhi police was reported to be doing nothing to stop the rioting, as was the state and central government. It was only after three days of rioting in the capital of the country that army was called in to restore order. Wow. After the riots, the anti-sick riots had repercussions across uh, northern India, but also in Punjab. A number of Hindus were killed by Sikh militants. The trains that are well-known in India for still being very, you know, uh, prevalent, were attacked, uh, and people were shot after being pulled from buses. In 1986, 24 Hindus were pulled out of a bus and shot uh, near Lalru in Punjab by Sikh militants. According to Human Rights Watch, in the beginning of the 1980s, six separatists in Punjab attacked non-Sikhs in the state. Um, that quote does not end. Uh, <laughs> There's the a lot arg- of things that don't end in this article. Apparently. Fortunately, the article itself does. Yeah. Here we go. Indira Gandhi's son and political successor, Rajiv Gandhi, tried unsuccessfully to bring peace to Punjab. Between 1987 and 1980, 1991, 
Punjab was placed under an ineffective president's rule and was governed from Delhi. Elections were eventually held in 1992, but voter turnout was poor. A new Congress government was formed, and it gave the police chief of the state, uh, KPS Gill, a free hand. So, interesting that the end result of a rebellion against centralized government was solutioned, apparently, by the central government saying, hey, you know what we should do? Centralize their government more. <laughs> and that was the end, because there's no more article, so... Uh, yeah. Sometimes when you rebel against the power, the power is like, alright, just be more powerful, I guess. <laughs> and that's the end of that. Yeah. There is something called Operation Black Thunder 2 um, down here. That which sounds like a bad sounds... sequel to an action movie. <laughs> <laughs> sounds very interesting. Where, is, where do you see that? It's in that list of uh, events, like oh, the timeline. It's yeah. near the bottom. There, above that is a name, Deepak Dewan. Unfortunately, he was brutally murdered, but he has a really cool name. Yeah. Deepak. Was he like the sequel to Tupac? <laughs> uh, no. He would be a prequel because he was killed first. Mm. He was killed in 1987. That's true. Tupac, rest in peace, 1996. Looking forward to your ne- new album. Yep. <laughs> so do we want to go to Operation Black Thunder 2? Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Because I was thinking maybe go to Indira Gandhi's like article to see if mentions anything about those sick bodyguards, but really feeling Operation Black Thunder 2. And I'm kind of sick <laughs> of this topic. Alright. So, let's go find out about Operation Black Thunder 2. Ooh, we get a, we get a two for one in this article. Yep. Got the first one and the second one. No, thir- no third movie. I guess the second one wasn't that no. good. Damn. <laughs> so the first one, there's not really a whole lot to note about it. Um, the first one took place uh, April 30th, 1986, and about 300 National Security Guards commandos stormed the Golden Temple, the holiest shrine of the six, along with 700 Border Security Force troops and captured about 300 sick militants. The operation, which lasted eight hours, was approved by then-Chief Minister of Punjab, Surjit Singh Barnala of Shiromani Akali Dal. So that's all there is to say about Operation Black Thunder 1. Meanwhile, Operation Black Thunder 2, sometimes just referred to as Operation <laughs> Black Thunder, uh, began... <laughs> On May 9th, 1988. So. Took two years for a sequel. Yeah, two years later, and yet somehow people have the audacity to drop the one or the two from (laughs) either of these. Any case, uh, it started in Armistar, which sounds like a. or rather, Arm. Amritsar. Still sounds like. I like Armistar. (laughs) I was thinking Omistar, like the Pokemon, the snail. Mm. It's Amritsar, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, I feel like this could be like a space opera yeah. if you if you change the name to Armistar. And maybe like Black Nebula. Mm. I don't know. Does space have thunder? 
might have thunder. Yeah, sure it does. I mean, I something know. like it. Some, space Lightning. <laughs> Operation Black Lightning. I guess there is no sound in space, so there couldn't be thunder. But there could be lightning. Like, yeah. There's just a bunch of energy shooting around. Yeah. It's probably that, right? Probably. All right. Anyway, <laughs> um, uh, it started in uh, Amistar and ended with the surrender of the militants on May 18th. Spoilers. Um, the operation was commanded by Kanwar Pal Singh Gill, who was that KPS Gill guy we mentioned in the previous <laughs> article, but he didn't give us his first three names. Um, he was the head of DGP Punjab Police. Snipers were used in this operation. Compared to Operation Blue Star, you know, the one that killed that mm. uh, peaceful religious leader dude? Yeah. Who also eventually suggested militarism. Uh, <laughs> little damage was inflicted on the Golden Temple. In what was reported as a successful operation, around 200 militants surrendered, where 41 were instead killed. Lots. Uh, this seems much better than the previous one, where there was like, you know, thousands. Yeah. <laughs> and no real like. Much better th- to have a a two-digit kill number rather than a three-digit or four-digit kill number. Yeah, that seems a little more humane. I mean, like... At least they let people surrender in this one. Yeah, that's a (laughs) nice feature. It's a pretty good feature. Uh, Gill stated that he did not want to repeat the mistakes made by the Indian Army during Operation Blue Star. Oh, Oh, there you go. Uh, The operation was described as a severe setback to the Khalistan movement. In contrast to prior operations, minimum force was used under full public scrutiny. It is remembered for the free access the news media was provided, unlike Operation Blue Star. The day after militants surrendered, nine reporters were allowed into the temple complex. Kirtan was resumed at the Golden Temple on the 23rd of May, 1988, after a two-week break during this operation. While Operation Blue Star was widely considered poorly executed and shambolic because of the egregious loss of civilian lives and the damage done to both the Golden Temple and sick relations with the government, culminating in the assassination of Indira Gandhi by her anti-sick bodyguards, Operation Black Thunder was far more successful with the blockade tactics, paying dividends, and has been created with breaking the back of the sick separatist movement. (laughs) Well, I do like... That word shambolic. That is shambolic. a really good word. Yeah. Is that a word? <laughs> Are we sure it's a word? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it's actually a word. Okay, hang on, hang on. I know there's, uh, you know, sham. There's shambles. But yes. Sh- I love it. Shambolic. There it is. <laughs> That's a real thing. Chaotic, disorganized, mismanaged. Pretty much what you would expect, oh, man. really. But still, point being, real word, great word. Yes. The Wikipedia Chronicles word of the day, shambolic. Shambolic. Yum. <laughs> Soon, uh, wait. Yeah. Soon. <laughs> Soon I will know where I am picking back up. Soon after this operation, the Indian government banned the use of religious shrines for political and military purposes, and it's in- increased penalties for the possession and use of illegal weapons as part of its strategy to fight extremism in the Punjab region. In 2002, Sarabjit Singh, who was the deputy commissioner of Amritsar at the time, published a book, Operation Black Thunder, an eyewitness account of terrorism in Punjab. 
The account was criticized by Kanwar Palsingil, who claimed that the operation was initially called Operation Gill before being <laughs> renamed Operation Black Thunder. Wow! So he criticized it for... Not for the accounting of the storytelling, but because he was like, well, you know, it was almost called... It was almost named after me, KPS Gill. But, I mean, I guess... I guess oh, you could call Operation Black Thunder 2. I mean, it was sort of like the first one. Only a lot better... A lot better because of me. Because I did it. Oh, like man. I can imagine, like that that police, like uh, that military training room. Hey guys, <laughs> I'm KPS Gill, and we're gonna go do this. We're gonna do it right. We're gonna do it better because the public <laughs> cares about what we're doing now. What are we gonna call this thing? I have a really good name, so I'm not, I'm gonna hold. I'm gonna buy my time, but maybe you guys will get to it first. What do you we'll guys think? We'll see what they what they call it. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like we've done this kind of thing before, but this one's gonna be better. So what do you think? What do you think we're gonna do? Operation Blue Star Two? No, no, no. That's no, that, no we're no. trying to distance ourselves from Blue Star. Well, what about <laughs> Operation Black Thunder? That was a good one. We did that one pretty uh, okay. Actually, yeah, no. Operation Black Thunder sounds really cool. Operation Black Thunder. Um, I actually was gonna name it after me, but uh, I mean, Operation Black Thunder Two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can see. I mean, like, why wouldn't you name it another one Operation Black Thunder? Like, name I mean, as many operations <laughs> as you can. Operation Black Thunder. New yeah, girl. I mean, seriously. Like, if I ever do an operation, it's going to be Operation Black Thunder 3. Yeah. You know? Yeah, Operation Black Thunder 6. Who cares? Yeah. Just name them all the same thing. That's something cool. <laughs> yeah. The enemy will never suspect what's coming because the name doesn't need to mean anything. Yeah. It just needs to be Wait, wasn't the previous operation to storm a temple and, like, capture a bunch of people? Yeah, but you know, it's a cool name. Yeah, this one, this one, we're gonna Just go. <laughs> this one, we're gonna go make a, we're gonna go make some parade floats. So, yeah. I mean, you know, don't worry about it. Yeah, you know. It's just gonna sound. Cool. What's the difference, you know? It's, <laughs> ain't nothing gonna rain in our parade. <laughs> Except for thunder. And that's the black thunder. Yep, the kind that's, you can't see. That's the kind that'll be operating. <laughs> I feel like that's a good place to end. Yeah. Black Thunder 2. Yeah, cool cool title at least. And it's at least more successful yeah. than the previous operations here. It at least gives you that kind of clean resolution of people, you know, paying attention to a conflict mm -hmm. resulting in scaling back of force and death. Yeah. Which is... Yeah, that's a good. That's a good thing to keep in mind. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's unfortunate that we have to say, at least only forty-one people were killed. Right. But when given still, the alternative, yeah, <laughs> and we were. Yep. We got a cool word out of it too. Shambolic. Shambolic is great. Shambolic is by no means in the shambles. That is a fantastic word. Mm -hmm. So yeah. yeah successful, successful little, good stuff. little episode here. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so there you have it from List of Mandals in Andhra Pradesh to Operation Black Thunder. Sometimes Operation Black Thunder too. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, go ahead and visit facebook.com slash TWC podcast. Give us a like and follow. Go to iTunes, rate and review us. Go to all those other podcast app sites and do stuff on there to make us more popular. <laughs> And uh, you can always go on to our website, twc.ericturu.com, 
And we have cool things like links to the articles and pictures and music credits and all sorts of stuff. And I'd like to thank Louis Armstrong for our theme song and Helen Morgan for our outro song. So thanks again for joining us. I was Eric. And I was John. And this was the Wikipedia Chronicles.